Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. We're currently in a series called If Only. And I love this title because we say this a lot in life. I don't know about you, but I know I have. If only, if only I would have gone to college. If only I would have chosen a different career path. If only I would have bought that house in 2010 when the housing market crashed. If only I would have taken that job. If only I would have left that job. If only I would have married so-and-so. If only I didn't marry so-and-so. I know no one says that in here. If only I was taller or shorter or in better shape or better looking made more money, if only. These are phrases we say all the time in life. And the problem with if only statements is this. They are unfair and they are untrue because we tend to look back at things with rose-colored glasses sometimes and we forget that everything that's happened in life has brought us to the moment we're in And God can use it all to shape our future. The problem with if only statements is they can lead to a victim mentality that causes us to get bitter instead of thriving in our lives. And today, the statement I want to talk about is this. If only I hadn't been hurt or offended. Ooh, if only I hadn't been hurt or offended. Now, I want you to raise your hand in this place if you've ever been hurt or offended by another person. Okay, keep that hand up. Keep that hand up. Now, raise your other hand if you've ever hurt or offended someone. Everyone better have both hands up. Come on now. All right, put those hands back down. See, as we go through life, Each day we experience things. We have good experiences in life, but we also have painful and traumatic experiences that shape how our future looks. It actually can shape our beliefs, our mindsets, our opinions, and our behaviors. Our life experiences do this. The way we're raised, the culture that we're in, all of these things tend to shape how we see God, how we see other people, and how we see the world. And I want to talk a little bit about how sometimes you can unintentionally pass good or bad things down from generation to generation. And some of these things that we pass down create trauma, create wrongs, create offenses in people's lives. So I want to share with you a little story. You've probably heard this story before, but even if you have, just bear with me. Uh, I want to share this story, and maybe you haven't, but it's a story about a husband and wife, and they're sitting at the kitchen, and the wife is making ham for dinner. And before she puts the ham in the oven, 
she chops one inch off the right side of the ham and one inch off the left side of the ham, and then she puts the ham in the oven. And the husband is reading the newspaper and he's looking at this and then she throws the ends away. And he asks her, why are you wasting good ham? Why did you cut an inch off each side? And she said, I don't know. That's just the way my mom did it. Every time my mom made ham and I watched her do it, she cut an inch off the side and off the other side and then put it in the oven. So that's the way I do it. So he's like, well, why did your mom do it that way? She's like, I don't know. So she calls her mom. She says, mom, why do you cut an inch off of each side of the ham before you put it in the oven when you're making ham? She said, I don't know. That's the way your grandmother did it. And so she, she wants to figure this out. But grandma had passed away, but grandpa was still alive. So she called grandpa and she said, grandpa, I have a question for you. How come grandma cut an inch off of each side of the ham before she placed it in the oven? And grandpa thought about it for a minute. He said, because our pan was small and she needed it to fit in there. It's a little example of how more is caught than taught. Like we watch people do things. We're in a culture, we're in an environment, and we pass things unintentionally down to people. And sometimes we don't even know why we act the way we do, why we say the things we say, why we do the things we do. But usually it's because there's things both good and not so good sometimes that are passed down. In fact, If you look at the Old Testament in the Bible, you're constantly seeing how the the bad choices of God's people, the Israelites, they lead to generational sin, to the second generation, the third generation, the fourth generation. You see it all throughout the Old Covenant. In fact, Deuteronomy 5.9 says this, it says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. I think this verse is more about how our choices, the things that we choose to do, the behaviors we choose to make, it it not only affects us, but it can affect generations to come. That's why it's so important to understand God's word. It's so important to share the love of God and understand his ways because we are a representation of him to this world and we need this to be a good representation of us to the world for generations to come. Jimmy Evans, he says this. He says, the behavior of our parents and grandparents, both good and bad, has a profound impact on us. Their attitudes, beliefs about God, methods of discipline, and life values constantly impact our developing souls while we're growing up, and to some degree, even after we've grown. So this is an important thing. When we're talking about offenses, when we're talking about wrongs, and if only I hadn't done this, a lot of times I hear this. If only I'd been raised in a better environment. If only I had parents like this. If only I had grandparents like this. And these are the kind of statements that we hear in the if only realm. And so it's very important to understand that some things 
that have been passed down to us from generation to generation are actually really good. And some things need to end with us. Some things need to stop with us. But it takes us recognizing what those things are to be able to have them stop with us. I want to take a look at the story of Joseph with you this morning. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know the story of Joseph, right? We've gone through the story of Joseph several times. It's a great story. We use it, we preach from it, we talk about different things. You probably could recite it back to me if you had to. But today what I want to do is I want to look at it from a slightly different angle. And so what I'm going to do is read some portions of it, I'm going to talk through some of it, and I want to look at this from a little bit different mindset this morning. So we want to start in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Genesis 37, 3 says this, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. It's interesting. It's interesting here you see that there was a culture created in this home. The culture was that dad favored one of the sons more than the rest. And this was hard for the other sons to deal with. Because guys especially will spend their whole lives longing for their father's approval in many ways. And so these brothers wanted that from their father, but their father ended up only showing it to Joseph. And this bothered them. I mean, the Bible uses the word, they hated their brother. They hated him. I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction there for a sibling to hate another sibling. So one day Joseph was going out to visit his brothers who were all working in the field. Just like any younger sibling, he wanted to be with her, where his older brothers were. I know I was like that growing up. My brother's older than me and I always wanted to be where he was. Where are you gonna be? Can I come? No, you can't come. <laughs> Can I come to your friend's house? No, you can't come to your friend's house. That's how our younger siblings are. We wanna be around our older siblings. So he's going out to find them. And listen what happens in verse 19, 37, 19. His brothers say to Joseph, they see him coming, they say, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Wow. Do you know what kind of anger, what kind of bitterness, what kind of trauma and hatred has to be in your heart to want to actually carry out murdering a sibling? A lot of pain there. 
a lot of trauma, a lot of family drama in that family. And if you continue reading the story, you realize that they don't murder Joseph, but they sell him into slavery. And then they go back to their dad, who loved Joseph so much, and they tell their dad, sorry, Joseph was eaten by a wild animal. He's dead. I mean, crushed their father. What is in your heart that gives you the ability to not only sell your brother into slavery, but then crush your father like that? Man, this is a dysfunctional family. And this is one of the good ones. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, the, our forefathers. Now what happens after this? They tell their father, uh, Genesis 37, 34 says this. Then Jacob tore his clothes. So when he hears about Joseph being dead, he tears his clothes. He dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for, the, for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son. He would say that and he would weep. So now, you've got a father in Jacob who goes into this deep, dark depression and refuses to get better. He loved his son. His son is now gone. And instead of mourning that, instead of grieving that, and moving forward from that so that he could still be there for the rest of his family. He's like, I'm done. I'm going to live the rest of my life depressed, angry, and bitter. That's pretty much what he said. Then you have poor Joseph. We haven't talked about him yet. He was 17 years old when his brother sold him into slavery. 17, can you imagine this? 17-year-old kid sold into slavery, abandoned by the people he trusted and loved the most in this world. Taken to a foreign land, traumatized, abandoned, abused, a tough, tough day for Joseph. And if you go on to read this, I don't have time to go through it all, but Joseph's betrayal doesn't end there. He continually tries to make better choices, even though all this pain and traumas in his life. And one day his master's wife tries to seduce him. and He runs away, but she says he didn't. He gets thrown into prison. He's in prison for a while. And over time, someone remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams. Pharaoh's having this one dream he can't interpret. Joseph comes out of prison and interprets it for him. And the king puts Joseph in charge of everything. Joseph ends up predicting that there's going to be an extreme famine in the land. There's going to be seven years of plenty where God's going to bless the, the land and during those seven years, Joseph is going to stock everything up, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. This is what the Lord showed Jacob in, his, in, in Pharaoh's dream. 
And so this happens, exactly like Joseph predicted it. There's seven years of plenty. He stores all this grain, and then there's a famine in the land. Let's pick this up in Genesis 42, 1. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. We see that in the 20 years that Joseph has been away, because that's about what it's been now. Joseph's about 37, 38 at this time. It's been just over 20 years. Jacob, dad, he's still bitter. Hey, didn't you hear there's grain in Egypt? What are you doing standing around looking at each other? This is what he says to his sons. Go out there, get us something. You can tell there's still not a very healthy culture in that home. So the sons leave and they go to Egypt to get grain. And this is what happens. When they get there, Joseph, their brother, is in charge. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And the Bible says he sees them, he recognizes them, and he speaks harshly to them. Yeah, I think they have that coming at this point. He speaks harshly to them. So then listen to this, in, in chapter 42, 17 and 18, it says, so Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I'm a God-fearing man, if you do as I say, I'll, I'll let you live. So I, uh, my personal belief here is Joseph is having a little inner turmoil here. You wanna know what it's like to be put in a foreign prison? Let me show you for three days. Do you know what my life has been like? He's got his brothers now and he's in charge. He speaks harshly to them. He puts them in prison for three days. I bet while they were in prison, he was kind of going back and forth. I know I should forgive him. I know God's done a lot in me, but man, It's drudging up a lot of stuff from the past. So he messed with them for a little while. He exerted his power over them. He deceived them a little bit. He gave them a taste of their own medicine. But then he decides enough's enough. In Genesis 45, 1 through 5, this is what happens. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. And the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. 
It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Let's unpack this a little bit. Joseph sees his brother, he reveals himself, and he just weeps. Can you imagine 20 years, 20 plus years, no closure, not knowing what's going on with his family, with his father, 20 years of abandonment, and it all comes to the surface. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. You've been carrying something for so long, and maybe you think you've dealt with it because it's time. Hey, 20 years has gone by, so it's in the past. But you can see in this story that even though 20-some years have gone by, time doesn't heal all wounds. Dealing with things heals the wounds. And out comes this emotional pain out of Joseph. Something that's deep. He weeps. He weeps and weeps. Now I want to take a minute and I want to look back at the family tree and talk a little bit about this story from a little different perspective. So if you think about it, Abraham was the first forefather we hear of. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. Now you're going to have to stay with me for a minute. Isaac married Rebekah. They had Jacob and Esau. The Bible says this. Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. In fact, Rebekah helped Jacob deceive her own husband and Jacob's father into stealing a birthright and a blessing that belonged to Esau. You see the deception start up there. Then what happens is Esau gets angry, so Jacob has to leave. He flees, and he goes to his uncle's land, his mom's brother. Well, the apple didn't fall far from the tree there. There was more deception. Jacob wants to marry Rachel. Laban promises Rachel to Jacob, but then gives her Leah instead. Deception. Now, Jacob has kids of his own. He's got all these kids, but he favors Joseph. Do you see this unfolding in the generations? He deceived his brother. He was deceived. Now his own sons, he brings that generational curse, that sin, that iniquity into his family. Now he favors one of his sons, and what do his other sons do? They deceive him. You see this pattern? Now it comes all the way down to Joseph, and Joseph has a choice. Joseph is in charge. He's the governor of this land. He can continue to deceive his brothers. He could keep this family trauma going. Or he can stand up, be the man, trust God, heal his soul, and end this iniquity. And that's what he does. 
He could have put his brothers in prison. He could have done anything he wanted. But he didn't. He stopped the family drama. He stopped the curses, the iniquities. See, that's what it takes. Someone's got to recognize it and say enough is enough. We got to move forward. I see our behaviors, our beliefs, our mindsets, and our opinions are shaped by the culture that we're in, that we've grown up in, in the culture around us. But I'm proud of Joseph because he broke this deception. He broke it. There's a spirit of deception in that home that he broke. And I really believe that God needed to separate him for a while. He needed to get him out of that family drama so he could see what the world was like and so he could fully depend on God for his future and become a healthier version of himself. So, if only. You think Joseph ever said, Man, if only I hadn't got wronged or offended. If only my brothers loved me. If only they didn't sell me into slavery. He could have had that attitude, but he doesn't. He tells them at the end, listen, don't be hard on yourselves because everything that happened, God used to bring me here. And I'm okay with it. It is well with my soul. So there's two things that we can really learn from this story when it comes to dealing with offense, pain, trauma in our lives. Number one is this, we've got to face our pain head on. Joseph did this. He faced his brother's head on. You've got to face the things in your life, the traumas in your life. There's some of you, you've been sitting here for years and decades, and that pain is still real. It's still familiar, and a lot of times it's because we haven't faced it. We haven't dealt with it. We've just shoved it down deeper and deeper, but the problem is it comes out, and it usually comes out around the people that we love the most. I was counseling years ago. I was doing some marriage counseling with a couple, and this couple, they didn't come to our church. They're not even in the area, but they were on the brink of divorce, and the reason they were was because this man was verbally assaulting and abusing his wife and the two sons. It was just, it was bad. And she was getting ready to leave. The sons were scared of their dad. They didn't want anything to do with them. And it was ugly. And when you hear something like this, when you're counseling someone, you hear something like this, there's a justice side that kind of rises up in you, right? You kind of want to put the guy in his place a little bit, right? Like there's this justice side. But I've learned something. 
over the years, we all experience this trauma, this pain. And so when someone is verbally assaulting someone else, there's usually some underlying, undealt with trauma in their own life. Like we could look at Joseph's brothers and, and judge them, right? You hated your brother. You sold him to slavery. What kind of brothers are you? But really, what was in their heart? What did they experience that brought their heart, made their heart so cold, and they took everything out on the person that they were supposed to love? So there's something deep in this guy. So I asked this man, I say, you know, can I just talk to you one-on-one for a little bit? Instead of doing this marriage counseling, because it would be easy in this situation to try to fix the marriage problems. But those marriage problems were only symptoms of something really much deeper. So I talked to this guy one-on-one. I said, what's going on? Why are you acting this way? What happened to you? And he broke down in my office. He broke down and he began to cry. And he said, I had an abusive father and an abusive uncle. And they physically beat me, smacked me around. Then they left, and I never got to make it right. And I have been carrying that for 20-some years. I've never dealt with it, but I don't want to. I said, well, we got to deal with it. He said, I can't. He said, I'm scared to relive it. I don't want all that pain to come back up. And I said, it's coming out. It's coming out and you're hurting the people you love the most. It's time to go deep and get our souls healed. You've got to, if you're ever going to save this marriage and save your family, you have to spend some time working on you. And he broke down and he began to weep and his pain was deep and he said, I don't know if I can face it again. And that's the hardest part. When we've experienced pain, when we've experienced trauma, when we've faced wrongs or offenses in our lives, it's easy just to say, oh, you know what, I'll just let time Separate. The problem is time doesn't heal trauma. It separates us from the trauma. The trauma is not as strong. It's not as intense. But it doesn't heal our soul. We literally have to face the pain. We have to talk through it. We have to ask God to help us work through whatever those things that have caused deep wounds in our life if we are ever going to be the best version of ourselves around the people we love. We've got to do this. My wife sent me this quote the other day that I thought was just so amazing and so tragic at the same time. It's by a guy named Jason Wilson. He says this, he says, the hardest thing for a man to do is deal with himself. To introspectively confront his own emotional pain and trauma so he can stop unjustly inflicting it on others. This is beautiful, and it's hard to hear too. We don't really want, us guys especially, men and women, but especially us guys, we don't want to face this. 
We don't want to talk about our feelings. Who wants to do that? But we ignore the trauma in our own life. We don't confront it. And then what we end up doing is we end up taking it out around on the people we love. We inflict pain on them. And our issues now become their issues. This is what leads to wrongs and offenses for generation and generation and generation till someone says, enough. I'm going to face it. And we're going to deal with it. If you find yourself reacting more harshly in certain situations than others, that pain is manifesting. If you find yourself very angry at things where you really shouldn't be that angry about, it's manifesting. That pain's coming to the surface. If you find yourself getting really nervous or anxious or acting obnoxious around a certain person, that pain is manifesting. It's coming up. If you find yourself reacting emotionally in situations where you really normally act logically, it's surfacing. We got to recognize these things so that we can deal with them. And you may be sitting here saying, well, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80, I'm 90 years old. I've dealt with it. I'll be fine. What is, what, what, what's the point now? And the point is this. Dealing with this, no matter what age you are, will change your attitude, your mindset, your view of God, and help you become a better version of yourself for the people around you who love you the most. Amen. That's what it'll do. So I don't, it doesn't matter what age you are, how long it's been. It's time to face it. If we don't face our wrongs and offenses, we become people who wrong and offend others. Do you see this cycle? It happens, and it's happening in our culture right now. You've got a lot of people with issues who haven't faced their own issues. And now we're offending each other like crazy. You offended me. I'm hurt. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to face that pain. So instead of actually dealing with it, facing it in an emotionally mature and healthy and spiritual way, I'm just going to get angry and punch back. This is what we have going on. We're punching each other in the mouth all day long. And that's not healthy. That's not a healthy culture. We're not going to survive this very long. We need to change it. We need to say enough's enough. Get our own souls healed and right so that we can react with wisdom and logic and spiritual intelligence instead of by how we feel in the moment. So that's number one. The second thing we've got to do, we can learn for Joseph, is take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for your own life. Ann Billington says this. She says, healing and freedom are built upon the bedrock of this attitude. Regardless of how people treat me or what life does to me, I am responsible for my behavior and attitudes towards God, others, and myself. It's easy to point fingers. I've told you this story before, but several years ago, I had a pretty bad bout with anxiety, 
And I was in a therapist's office. I was somewhere I never thought I would be. And I was trying to blame everything and everyone. And the therapist looked at me and said, are they sitting here or are you? I'm so glad I came to therapy today. (laughs) You're responsible, he said. You're responsible for your own feelings. You're responsible for how you treat people. You're responsible. And I'll never forget that. I'm responsible for my feelings, for the way I treat people. I can't blame anyone. And this is what we want to do. We want to point fingers. If only I hadn't gone through this If only I hadn't been treated this way. If only this hadn't happened to me in life. And we we take that on, that victim mentality, and then we, we think it's okay that we hurt and react the way we do to other people, and it's not. It's now our responsibility. It's not our fault. Man, I'll be the first to tell you, if you've been hurt by someone deeply in the past, by maybe someone that you trusted that was supposed to love you and be there for you, I am so sorry. If you've gone through some kind of crazy life situation, painful experience, I am so sorry. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. But it is now. What happens next in your future is up to you. You can make excuses Or you can face that pain and say, you know what? I am going to live a healthy future. I am going to continue to take responsibility for my life. And no matter what's happened in the past, I'm going to move forward with God. And together we're going to face the trauma. We're going to face the pain. We're going to face the unforeseen bad circumstances. And we're not going to use it as an excuse to keep our lives small and insignificant. But we're going to roll forward. We're going to move forward. Your future is so bright and so full of hope, but the only one holding you back is you. See, the enemy loves to lie to us in these situations. He loves to get us thinking about everything that isn't the issue. He likes to torment and torture. But this is when we got to stand up and say, no, I've got God. I love Joseph, man. Joseph, he did not let his pain define him. He sought God. He continued to be a man of character and integrity. He didn't try to use what happened to him to to get mad at God and say, God, you've abandoned me. He didn't let that painful life circumstance dictate his future. He didn't turn to substances to escape his pain. He said, you know what? I'm going to choose to believe that God's going to turn my pain into purpose. And he did just that. He turned his pain into purpose. Let Joseph inspire you today. Let Joseph inspire you today. So many of us are carrying around so much so much we're carrying this weight we're hanging on to it some of us even think we deserve it so we're hanging on to this weight and this brokenness and we're trying to go through life and we're going through life broken and Jesus is like I'm here 
cast your cares upon me. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. This is why I'm here. Cast those cares on me. I can heal your soul. See, Jesus is the only one who can heal your soul. But we got to take that step towards him. Face the pain. And have God help us walk through it. So instead of saying, man, if only I hadn't been hurt or offended, I could be this whole other person. Let today be the day that victim mentality ends. And you say, despite what's happened in my past, I'm going to let God heal my soul right now. And then I'm going to move on to do something incredible and significant in this world. Joseph literally changed the world. He saved the world and changed the world. And if he can do it with God's help, so can we. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, I know in a room this size, people watching online, This world can be harsh. There's people who have gone through significant and traumatic pain, who have been wronged, they've been offended, and it's scarred them. And as much as they want to be whole and to be healed and not be offended, it just feels like they can't let go of that offense. Maybe they've tried time and time again. And Father, I pray that today would be a day you start a healing process in our souls. Today's the day we lay that pain, we lay that trauma down and realize that in you, we are victorious. We're not victims. And in you, we can have healing for our souls. And in you, We can still go on to do some incredible things for your glory, and we can honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.